0: Hey White Sox fans, Brett Ballantini here, lucky enough to host what is, I guess it's a pair of of new types of podcasts we're doing, Uh, long planned, finally being put together. Uh, We're going to call it, I think we're going to call it, we're just going to call it The Dish, right? It's uh, it's today in Sox history. It's the brainchild of Mark Liptak, my guest here for our, our very first dish deluxe, I guess we'll talk about them. I'm going to try to be doing some uh, some daily or close to daily just checks in that will rely a lot on what, uh, or almost exclusively on what Mark does for us every day on Southside Sox. You've been reading that for for years, uh, but you know do a little audio companion to that. And then occasionally, maybe at this point, every couple of weeks or so, we're going to sort of expand some aspect of history with the White Sox and sit down Usually with Mark, maybe sometimes it'll be other site writers who maybe were at a game that we want to talk about a little more. I know we have probably the Field of Dreams coming up. Melissa Sage Bolenbach will be talking to us, having been there at the Field of Dreams. Uh, But in this case, we are going to kick off. We're going to try to find some good news. It's not always easy with the White Sox, especially these days. We're going to kick off with uh, digging into uh, All-Star Game history, uh, particularly in Chicago and at Comiskey Park. Uh, Mark, first, thanks for doing this. I think we talked about it maybe a year or more ago, and finally I'm getting off my butt to do this with you. I appreciate you being a willing participant.
1: No, thank you, Brett. Like I say, uh, it's it's a pleasure joining you. I appreciate you asking me.
0: We're going to have some fun doing this. It's The, the news isn't always going to be good. We're probably going to try and skew it toward, I mean, what's the point of talking about lousy, terrible things? So we probably will try to skew it towards Better news, but we have white flag on the horizon. Oh, we got some other stuff that we got to talk about. That's going to be a little bit rougher, but let's start at the very, we're 90 uh, 90 years uh, ahead in time from the very first all-star game at Comiskey park. Uh, And not everybody knows, you know, sort of what went into that game and how that game played out. Uh, Care to enlighten us a little bit, Mark? Well,
1: It actually was done in connection with Chicago actually hosted a World's Fair. It was called the Century of Progress. And Arch Ward, who was a sports editor of the Chicago Tribune, and was one of the most influential newspaper sports people in the country, came up with the idea, and this was just supposed to be a one-shot affair, of the best of the National League playing the best of the American League in what he would call the All-Star Game. And a coin flip was held between the White Sox and the Cubs to determine who would host the game. And the White Sox won the coin flip. So it was played on July the 6th, 1933 at Comiskey Park. And again, in connection with the Century of Progress, the World's Fair was going on at the same time along the lakefront. The World's Fair actually started in May, and it lasted all through that summer. So they played the All-Star game. Uh, And the American League won four to two. Babe Ruth hit the first World Series home run in that game. And the White Sox representatives were uh, Jimmy Dykes, who played third base and would later go on to be a player manager. And then the manager of the White Sox and Al Simmons, uh, who was one of the outfielders. Dykes actually scored the first all-star run in history, I think that was in the third inning if I remember right. And again, it was a capacity crowd. It was completely sold out. It was also, remembered during the depression. yeah. And that brought a sense of joy, for want of a better word, to a nation that was really struggling. Mm -hmm. So they decided, let's make this an annual affair, which they have. Uh, And then uh, the next year it was held, I believe at the Polo Grounds. Mm -hmm. And they would alternate every year between the American and National League parks. That's changed in recent years, but that was the original format.
0: I'm curious, uh, because as familiar as I am with the first game and as much pride as us the Sox fans sort of hold that, you know, uh, Comiskey Park got to host the first, until I saw uh, some of your pre-show notes, I, I really hadn't recalled or remembered That it really was just it was somewhat of a fluke in that it was a coin flip now that would tell me mark that they weren't certain how this game was going to be received because clearly if you were going to go capacity comiskey had their upper deck by then correct so i mean you capacity wise you're going to sell more and you're going to get a bigger crowd at comiskey park i'm sure it is sort of like hey let's just be fair we're in chicago so let's flip a coin but you know, if they knew this was a, a killer sell from the start, I'm guessing they would have skewed just like they did with some World Series games, especially once Kamiski uh, had, you know, lights or whatever uh, uh, that, you know, you would you would push it off toward Comiskey because you just get more people you know, you know, and It turned out it played out that way. But I guess going in, maybe they weren't certain
1: in the finest Chicago tradition. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah, right. That, that maybe the coin was skewed somewhat. <laughs> You know, heads I win, tails you lose. No, honestly, I don't honestly know a lot. I'm a White Sox historian, but I have never seen anything anywhere mm-hmm. about who did the coin flip, where it was done, who called, whether it was called heads or tails. I think that's one of those things that's been lost to history, yeah. but the White Sox won it, fair or unfair. Yeah. And they wound up hosting the first game, which of course was an afternoon game because there were no lights. Mm-hmm
0: um we are going to uh, move forward in time here after a break and I'm also going to have a off the board question that doesn't have to do uh, com- uh, directly with the white sox I'm going to challenge uh, Markleth, not trivia but I'm sure he has he probably does have the answer because this was his uh era I think the beginning of, of- of his hair, watching games. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back in a minute. Stick with us. A lot more interesting history on a dish deluxe here. Very first time inaugural episode with Mark Liptak. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. White Sox fans, I am Brett Valentini again, hosting hosting a podcast. What am I doing? I'm hosting a podcast. <laughs>
1: we have. Uh, I think your wife asked you that question a lot. Oh, exactly yes,
0: trust, trust me, Mark. Oh, my gosh, if not daily, hourly. Uh, but I'm hosting, along with Mark Liptak, uh, what we're going to call, at least for now, The Dish Deluxe. Uh, we're doing probably daily or trying to come close to doing daily uh, little history bites uh, and just in a podcast sense. But here, when we move over to YouTube and uh, develop, a, I guess, a more deluxe podcast, we're going to call it Dish Deluxe. Why not? Uh, Deep <laughs> Dish, whatever it is. Uh, but we have been talking uh, All-Star Games. We touched a little bit on the very first one in 1933 and how the White Sox were lucky enough to host that and we they they and, and now from here they sort of get all of the special anniversaries i'm going to guess 2033 is going to be uh, at Sox Park uh, on the 100th so. we are uh, 90 years uh, ahead uh, but before we move to i guess the next milestone it's not the only one but the other one we wanted to highlight here on Dish Deluxe which would be 1983 the 50th year uh, after uh, 1933. I'm curious because something took a change and it doesn't have to do with the White Sox or Comiskey, Mark, but in the early 60s, maybe late 50s, early 60s, they, uh, the uh, Major League Baseball started moving to two games. Yes, sort of screws in the late, in up the late, number of games. It and started up in the late 50s. Some of the records. Uh, and is that just sheerly because it was such an enormously popular uh, event that you'd want to spread out a couple games during the summer. What's, what's the reasoning or the background behind going to two games there for a, it seems like a stretch of four or five years?
1: I believe it started in 1958, and I think it went through 1962. Okay. And they would have one game in a National League park, and then a few weeks later they would have another game at the American League park. Or vice versa. They would start with the American League and go to the National League. And I I believe it was primarily because it was a popularity type thing. Uh, You know, they was was drawing well. TV had a lot to do with that. Those games were televised. And um, they did it for 58, 59, five years, I believe, off the top of my head. Why it ended, honestly, I don't know. I think... I think if I had to guess, Brett, it would be because it was too disruptive to the regular season schedule. It's one thing to take, you know, three, four days off, okay, to have one game. But then you have to do it again two or three weeks later. And in many cases, now you're getting into late July, start of the pennant
0: races are heating up. I have a feeling that probably was part of the reason why they ended it. And look, we're, Mark, we're problem-solving on a podcast. You've got expansion and you've got the, the move of the season to 162 games. they got to find a way to, to cram all this in. They're still having a lot of double-headers back then, but it's still a challenge yes. to really cram in an extra week. So that probably only uh, encouraged Major League Baseball to take a step back and say, all right, we love this game and fans love it, and this is the heyday of baseball as America's pastime, but we are going to scale it back to just one And game.
1: before, Brett, before you start talking about 83 – Remember, Comiskey Park hosted the 1950 game as well. That was the second time they had hosted. The National League won that game 4-3. to three. It was in extra innings on a Red Shandy's home run. But that game was known for Ted Williams breaking his elbow when he hit the left field wall at Comiskey Park. It wasn't padded. Yeah. He was trying to make a catch on a ball. I don't remember who hit it. His elbow hit that concrete and broke it. Yep. So that was kind of the highlight, and I use that term loosely
0: yeah. So, yeah, of see, the well, 1950 we, game, I feel like you just skip and then past you went
1: that. to 1983. Right.
0: You want know, to skip past 1950 is bad news. American League loses. We don't care about that. And then Ted Williams, I mean, it's not a White Sox, but come on, breaks his elbow. That's just that's bad vibes. So we do scoot ahead to uh, 1983. Big celebration. This is one I remember. I think I was probably sitting in front of the TV with my VCR recording the game because it was going <laughs> to be a memento forever, right? And who knew? the game was going to become because this is a time mark where the American league is suffering a horrible, horrible set of results. I mean, they lost 11 losing, in a row. They're losing all the time National you clearly to- totally, totally them in terms of talent. Not that the all-star game is, is the true, true test of, of league talent, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it gives you a glimpse and the national league had, you know, was beginning to run circles. Around the American League, and yeah, they were really coming into limping into this game, really because uh, National League had sort of asserted itself as the dominant. Mm-hmm. Going sixties into the seventies, and now nineteen eighty three comes back home in Chicago, back home in Comiskey Park. Park had not changed, uh, and uh, some electrifying results. True,
1: the American League won thirteen to three. <laughs> they had a huge inning. When uh, Fred Lynn, who was born in Chicago. Chicago native, yes. Lynn was with the Angels, hit the first major, hit the first all-star game grand slam into the lower deck in right field. He hit it off Adley Hamaker, mm-hmm. who was with the Giants, who in 1995, Ooh, I think, yeah. yeah, pitched actually for a brief period of time with the yep. White Sox. Yep. But the American League won that one in a rout. And the other highlight was the day before when you had 50 living members of the Hall of Fame all return to Comiskey Park for an old-timers game. Now, not all of them actually played, Mm -hmm. but there were people there, including guys like Carl Hubble, Mm -hmm. Joe DiMaggio, Bill Dickey, who were there. Some actually played, some did not. One of the the memorable moments in that game was early win was on the mound in his White Sox uniform throwing to Billy (laughs) Williams. And Williams hit a ball into the upper deck in right field. Now, granted, Early was not throwing like he did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Not a fair competition of errors.
1: Because knowing Early, he would have brushed the next hitter back. Yeah. But that was one of the highlights as well. That that was a real big deal. It was actually narrated, or the PA was actually done by Jack Brickhouse for that. And then you had the game itself uh, the next night. On NBC, Vin Scully and Joe Garazziola had the call. Ron Kittle was the only White Sox representative because, remember, the White Sox still had not thrown it into overdrive. And I think they went like 42-10 and in August and September of that year. But Kittle was the only representative, and he actually got a hit late in the game, an infield single deep to short. Dickie Thawne of the Astros had to go deep in the hole, could not make a strong enough throw to get Kittle. So Kittle got credited for a single in his only uh, all-star game at bat.
0: If you had to pick a guy, uh, especially early on when it didn't look like the White Sox were going to do anything uh, just for the, 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 the romance of the story: a local guy having a breakout year, coming off of what a fifty-something homer minor league season. So, I mean, Edmonton. really had to pick a White Sox guy, I'd be like, "Yeah, get Ron Kittle on the team." Uh,
1: and he 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 got off to a terrific start in '83.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was if leading this had the, in
1: home runs at one time,
0: yeah. If this had been a post-season All-Star game naming for some kind of tour. You'd have like the whole Sox rotation. Oh, You'd have a lot of White Sox on that team. But at that point, yeah, how can in good faith you do that? They were a a middling team still. uh, Well,
1: people, this is one of the most amazing stats I've ever seen. And I don't know if it has been duplicated or if anybody had ever done it before. The White Sox big three in 83, Lamar Hoyt, Richard Dodson, and Floyd Bannister, after the all-star break. Where it combined forty-two wins and five losses. That's that's good, Mark. Yeah i I don't know how you, I don't know what you say to that. That's just <laughs> as close to unbeatable as you're going to get. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was a that was a delicious season. And 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 you know, in a sense, you could say that this uh, crazy triumph by the American League, unexpected. Uh, hey, I, in, in some sense, you know, maybe sort of kicked it off. I mean, the good, there were a lot of good vibes in Comiskey park in the second half of that season. And you, you could definitely make the argument that, uh, the 50th, the, the 50th the year the game, but yes, the golden anniversary game, I uh, you know, sort of helped kick that off. Um, one other question I had again, sort of going off the board, not sticking to the 33, uh, 83, the 90 years ago and the, uh, uh, I can't do the math, 40 years ago. All-Star Games is um, the list among the uh, luminary White Sox players. 100-plus uh, have been in the game. Uh, a lot of the guys you'd expect to have played in a lot of games have actually done performed very well in games, with one exception. That's uh, Louis Apricio has really no way to say it, but horrible for the White Sox in All-Star Games. I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. a reason for that, but, boy, the guy's got one hit over a ton of at-bats, and he's really the guy who stands out as poor.
1: He was one for 24 in the All-Star games, and the only hit was a triple off Don Drysdale in the 62 game in Washington, D.C. He just couldn't get a hit, Yeah, you know, and you compare that with a guy like Nellie Fox, who was a 12-time All-Star for the White Sox, the most ever by a White Sox representative. I'm looking at my numbers here. Nellie hit 368. 14 of 37, seven runs scored, five RBIs. He got the game winner in the 54 All-Star game at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium when he got a base hit in the eighth inning off of Carl Erskine of the Dodgers. You know, it's like, it's like anything else. Sometimes, you know, you get your pitch. There's a guy that you think you can hit and you do it. I mean, I've been in that spot on both ends, both pitching and hitting, and sometimes people just have your number.
0: Yes. Future, future Dish Deluxe. Mark Lipstick stares down. Cleon Jones. And then he tells Lou Brock and Don Kessinger just to sit down. But that's in the future. You don't get that here. Oh, no. You got to keep listening. You got to keep watching because we're going to get to those stories. Oh,
1: look, I, I would never, ever tell Lou Brock or Don Kessinger or George Stone or Cleon Jones to sit down.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I had a little bit of poetic license.
1: <laughs> it was quite an experience, though, but no, I would never do that. I'm not yes. that arrogant.
0: All right. Well, fair enough. I'll be arrogant on your behalf, Mark. Uh, we'll put a pin on that. We we'll definitely will get to that, because uh, that's going to be some fun stories sure. to exchange as well. That's what we're going to do on the Dish Deluxe. This is our uh, first episode, I'm sure we'll have some that are longer, some that are sadder, uh, but this is our first test of the deluxe. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, keep on listening on Sox Populi, the whole family of Sox Pop podcast <laughs> here on the Fans first Sports Network, including our uh, hopeful, I'm crossing my fingers here, we're sort of time traveling here a bit, but I'm crossing my fingers that we're able to maybe get a little daily short Uh History Punch podcast in uh, every day, but we are definitely going to a couple times a month at least throw out the deluxe when I can collar Mark from his football and basketball and softball and baseball, all the other obligations he's got as a broadcaster. When he gets the time, he's going to sit down with me and we're going to talk about White Sox history. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks, Mark, for doing this. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoy this. And uh, we'll be back with another deluxe in uh, a week or two. So hang with us.